Welcome to another episode of the Top Order Podcast. Another daily update here for you at the back of the tremendous game between Australia and New Zealand. I'm left fumbling for superlatives in my intro. Also, another game of cricket happened overnight. We think it was Netherlands and Bangladesh, but as Australian and New Zealand fans, we've been focused probably just on the one game, but we'll try and give you an even coverage of the World Cup. All that coming up and more after the swish. Good morning, Raj. It's it's very bleary this morning in the Auckland studio number one. How's the Auckland studio number two? Similarly sleep deprived? Yes, very, very sleep deprived. And I think my my voice is is in an interesting position. Um, Just preparing for the, the World Cup. Final, the Rugby World Cup final, which is about to kick off in about an hour. Um, so, yeah, just, just fired up for that, as you can tell. Yeah, indeed. It was a vested interest in us both keeping this podcast to time this morning, but we do have to cover some tremendous cricket overnight. 771 runs in an ODI that that resulted in only five runs between the two teams. So, um, you know, critics that have been lamenting the lack of close finishes in this Cricket World Cup have been treated to some absolutely outstanding results over the last 24 to 48 hours. Australia batting first um, and got off to a reasonable start. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, uh, you've understated that uh, to the maximum there. It was an incredible start. Uh, I guess it was a real tale of two halves, the, the game in, in general. I think New Zealand would have come off the field at the innings break feeling absolutely dejected absolutely dejected Australia on a high but all based off that start as you mentioned David Warner and especially Travis Head coming back after I'm not sure how long out of the game a fair fair chunk of time and just not missing a beat just everything was coming out of the middle of the bat yeah it's one of those days for both of those guys that where everything they tried turned to gold and you know it started with Warner getting a couple of boundaries away through the offside early, I think you know New Zealand, if they were guilty of anything in that first 10 overs, they, they fed both of the guys pet shots early doors and, and allowed them to get away. But once they were away, there was no stopping either of them. Some of those shots from Warner were, as on commentary, um, were described as some of the best that he's ever played. And he looked in the form of his life out there. And Travis Head, as you say, he's, he's had a broken hand for the last month. His only warm-ups prior to the World Cup were really facing a, a couple of sessions of tennis balls in the equivalent of his backyard at home. And then straight on the plane over to Australia, uh, sorry, over to India with the Australian side. Uh, a week's worth of warm-up and his first World Cup game scores 100 off 67 and hits seven balls out of the park. That was some of the cleanest hitting I've ever seen from Australia. And after 10 overs, it was all looking very rosy. But I think New Zealand did a really terrific job, to be honest, to come back from conceding 11 and a half runs and over in the first 10 overs to then go 59 53 60 in the next set of next set of 10 over blocks and pick up some wickets along the way and there was one guy that you've been quite uh, full of praise for in the New Zealand setup that that catalyzed that for New Zealand are you talking about Glenn Phillips is he the one I am talk- yes Yes. Yeah, I, I actually probably, Baldy, have been a little bit negative about his bowling. You know, knowing him as a former wicketkeeper, I was, um, I was, I was surprised to see him taking such a, a big role with the bowling over the last sort of two years. But look, he proved me completely wrong uh, once again, uh, and he bowled incredibly well. I, you know, he's the positive. You're, you're, you're sort of skirting over a little bit of the negative around the the New Zealand bowling. My, my main issue or concern around that was that none of our frontline bowlers up until 
Glenn Phillips came in, were able to halt this Australian assault. Uh, they they um they were as you said too good. Uh, the the batting early on in the first sort of fifteen to twenty overs, but when Glenn Phillips came on, he bowled incredible lines, incredible lengths. Once again, the key was the speed that he found uh, very quickly, and he was very hard to put away and got some important wickets to to stop Australia scoring five hundred. It felt. Mm, absolutely. I mean, Philip's spell was fantastic. At three for 37. Yeah, it even it looks great on paper, but compared to how Australia were going at the time, it was just a fantastic spell. He took all the pace off the ball, and, and New Zealand learned from that quite quickly. You looked at Santner in the back end of his spell. He took the pace right off the ball and found some purchase on that wicket as well. So I think New Zealand did a good job in those middle overs to make life hard for Australia, and you see that in the scorecard. You know, Marsh only struck at 70. He's been pretty destructive so far in the tournament. Manus has gone back to doing uh, his uh, early form card, and he only struck at 65 or 70. So there was some, there was a bit of wobble in, in that middle order from Australia. Uh, the Marsh thing, you looked had a look at that and, and found some issue there, Raj. Well, uh, we, we have actually mentioned it earlier, I think when we reviewed the, the Pakistan game, Australia-Pakistan there was a period in the middle of the uh, middle overs there where he struggled, even though he scored a hundred, a good hundred. There was a middle, there was a point there where he struggled to turn the strike over and struggled to genu- generally play the spin bowling. And mm. in this game, he came in at number three after that start had been made, the platform laid, and he actually put a little bit of a handbrake on the Australian batting innings. He only struck at seventy, um, you know, coming in at what two hundred or one hundred and seventy-five for one. Uh, struck at at um, hundred uh, struck at seventy. That's not what you want out of Mitch Marsh in that position. He should be going out there, all guns blazing. But it was a little bit of a handbrake. Again, it, it's, a, it's a small weakness, but it is something that he needs to look at turning the strike over in the middle overs and, and just dealing with those spinners in general. Absolutely. I mean, he hits the ball as well as anybody in world cricket, Mitchell Marsh, and he hits the ball well down the ground. Uh, what surprised me is that he stayed at home to the spinners. He didn't come out of his crease. He didn't step down and try and take the, take them on downtown. And I think that would have given a bit of impetus to his innings. And once he's away, uh, he's as good as anybody at hitting boundaries. But you're right. Australia really lacked, even in that first 10 overs, uh, lacked the ability to rotate the strike and hit singles. The fact that we were hitting you know, two or three balls over or, or into the boundary uh, sort of masked over that. But Australia really did struggle to rotate the strike. And as soon as Glenn Phillips was able to put a bit of a handbrake on the Australian momentum, it was becoming very, very apparent that that was the case. Uh, into the back end of the innings we go, though, and the big shows turned up again uh, on the back of that brilliant 100 uh, the other night off 40 deliveries. He gave Australia that all-important M-word going into the last 10 overs, which Australia really needed at that point because uh, when he came in, it's sort of, what was it, five? Okay, it was five for 270. But you, I felt like, personally, Australia needed 375-plus if mm. they were going to put the game out of reach for New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, you know, during that innings where we were messaging, I thought that, you know, 350 or under was actually our, our best-case scenario. I was genuinely thinking we're chasing 420, 430 here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll put the question back to you. You must be really wrapped with how Maxwell Inglis and, and Cummins finished that innings off. Oh, hugely impressed with how Maxwell uh, paced that chase and the risks that he took. I mean, he did some incredible things out there again on the cricket field. He he had the reverse sweep, the reverse ramp. He tried a reverse pull shot off one of the fast bowlers, which I think probably won't come out again uh, anytime soon. But 
he he took the appropriate amount of risk for Glenn Maxwell. It, it's risks that ninety nine percent of the other cricketers in the world wouldn't take, but he identified where the gaps in the field were, and, and he was able to get that reverse sweep away, that reverse ramp away. And again, he the only reason he got out is because he tried to helicopter the ball out of the ground again. And I think if he just stays a little bit more in shape, hitting the ball down the ground, he's going to end up being even more successful than he is. Um, Inglis did a really, really good job of batting with him. It would have been very, very difficult for Maxwell to do those things had he not had a partner at the other end that he could trust. So Inglis, even though 38 off 28 looks like a good innings, it was actually a better innings than it looked because he was able to work the strike to Maxwell. He was able to get off strike to the spinners. Uh, So I thought that was particularly impressive. And then Cummins was the beneficiary, I think, uh, it's fair to say, of some bowling in areas that he would enjoy more than others. And I think New Zealand maybe, if anything, were guilty of not quite doing their homework to Pat Cummins and and bowled a little bit too much into his slot, Raj. Yes, uh, I just need to um, charge up before I I talk about the slot bowling at the death. But Inglis... Inglis, um... It, it felt like his during his ingle, uh, during his innings that he was struggling, but mm. he hit some really really important boundaries when Australia needed that momentum kick, and he was actually I thought he was really good in, in the sort of linchpin to though that, that trio to score those runs at the end. He did a great job. Death bowling, um, some real concerns for New Zealand around that death bowling, which I thought we'd shaken. You know, over the last eighteen months, there was that period there. Uh, you know, after the 2019 World Cup, we played a few games where we had uh, super overs, where we just struggled to close games out. Trent Bolt kept going, as, as Binksy would say, air miles. Southie mm. was getting put away. And now Nisham um, sort of fell, fell into that category there and gave them that real kick towards towards the end. I don't think this is Jimmy Nisham's role to, to sort of close out an in innings, but there, there were just far too many balls in the slot. Like, you know, bowl it short, bowl off pace, bowl it a Yorker or a wide Yorker or something. Just don't mm. put it in the slot. <clears throat> oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, Trent Bolt executed the wide Yorker perfectly and was called for a wide, <laughs> which I thought was quite harsh. Um, it must have been quite devastating for him to have executed his skills just brilliantly. It was it was exactly where you wanted it to be, unplayable. Uh, and then the umpires punished him for it. So uh, there was a little bit of bad luck going New Zealand's way. If I could be... If I could be critical of Australia, we did lose four for one at the end and we failed to really ram home that advantage. We were bowled out in the 49th or the 50th over, um, having lost four for one. And if you compare that to the contribution that New Zealand got from their last four wickets, it's it's night and day. So there are things that you have to praise Australia for when they make 388, but there are some aspects to their game uh, that still need a little bit of work. And I think if you look at the scorecard, Steve Smith and Marnus were really guilty of not pushing on and making a big score in that game. They had perfect opportunities to do so on a very, very good batting wicket. So even though Australia got 388 and looks very dominant, there's still a lot of work to do in that Australian side to get themselves a complete performance. Let's turn our attention... Oh, sorry, Raj, you go ahead, mate. Before we go on, I guess I just want to touch on... You know, we talked about... uh, Me and Stu and I talked about... New Zealand and how we felt like they're going to go throughout the World Cup. I thought that they, I think, I still think that they're in the position to win any game that they they play. But the real concern there is just around their fundamental skills. I think we need to mention the the fielding mm. that was terrible and definitely a difference maker. Um, you know, in this game, you know, I've, I've kind of slated Jimmy Neesham's second over where he got put to all parts, but he also had two catches dropped off him uh, in that over as well. Even though you know he went for 
went over the boundary a couple of times as well. But uh, the Santana drop catch of, of Warner very early, while it was a very difficult chance, those are the ones that turn matches around. A couple of drops for Glenn Phillips and, and Ruchin Ravinder as well that I'd expect them to take um, 99 times out of 100, 999 times out of 1,000. Um, and, you know, those are difference makers. Those are the, mm. the skills that New Zealand need to execute uh, in that third facet of the game, and they didn't do it. Yeah, it's an uncharacteristic performance from New Zealand last night with the with the fielding. I think they're going to put that away as just being under tremendous pressure from Australia and didn't quite execute their skills. Uh, they're genuinely an excellent, excellent fielding side and, and just let themselves down on 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 a big stage. Is there anything else you want to cover off in that in that first half before we turn our attention to what was an excellent chase from New Zealand? No, I think let's move over move over to the next innings and talk about the great start that New Zealand made with the bat. Um, this batting at the top of the order has really become an art form uh, in the white ball game. Uh, you, you know, no longer do we have these bashers who go out there. Uh, you have players who go out there and play extraordinary, beautiful cricket shots and score at ten and over uh, effortless, effortlessly. It feels through that that power play. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Devin Conway and, and Will Young's batting at the mm. top of the order. Um, however, they couldn't cash in on it like the Australians did. Uh, what did you make of the Australian bowling early on? Oh, look, I was very, very disappointed. As I said to you off air before we before we hit the record button, I actually turned it off at one point there in a fit of rage because Stark and Hazelwood just gifted New Zealand uh, opportunities to get their innings underway early doors. I, I know that Mitchell Stark's MO is to search for swing early. Uh, but, you know, he was down the leg side first delivery. And I, I often think about Mitchell Stark. If he gets that first delivery right, he becomes a handful for the rest of the innings. But if that first ball goes awry for whatever reason, it seems to be that that sets the tone for him. And, you know, he bowled really, really poorly in that first little set uh, to get New Zealand underway. Full credit to New Zealand. Devin Conway's play through the offside, anything that was full and wide, he he laced it through the covers and it was just tremendous to watch. But for Australia, if we're going to go deep in this tournament and we're going to bowl to the likes of New Zealand again, South Africa, India, um, you know, whoever, we can't be poor in the first 10 overs. And we have been in this World Cup so far. There have only been a couple of games where Australia have looked good inside the first 10 overs. Uh, the first 10 overs against India were pretty good. Uh, and there was one other game where we took wickets against the Netherlands, I think it was, inside the first 10 overs. But other than that, we've allowed teams to get off to a really rollicking good start by bowling both sides of the wicket. I mean, even the the two wickets that we took early doors were, you know, strangles down the leg side. So... Uh, there's a lot to work on for Australia in that first 10 overs as far as bowling is concerned. But New Zealand cashed in and did an excellent job to get themselves on the rate early that they could then maintain that momentum, that run rate throughout their innings. And I thought they paced their chase just perfectly. They really did the the sort of simple things well, you know, scoring a boundary off the first couple of balls of an over. And they, they sort of turned this chase into very small sort of milestones. Let's get seven, let's get eight off the over. Let's get... 60 off this next 10 or 60 off this next 8 perhaps is a better way to, to look at it. They really broke it mm. down into small milestones and did a, a great job chasing that down. Uh, Ruchin Ravindra, another 100 for him, putting himself in the shop window in India. He actually struggled a little bit early on, uh, looked a bit scratchy uh, and was kind of following uh, Daryl Mitchell, the, the mailman who once again delivered. But I like mm. how Ruchin Ravindra was able to sort of 
uh, get over the the early struggles that he had and really sort of um, explode in his last 50 runs, 50, 60 runs that he scored. Um, any, 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 give me some superlatives around those two. Oh, they've been outstanding for New Zealand. I, I, you have a look at the balance of this side now with Glenn Phillips at, what, six, Nisham at seven, and then four bowlers. It looks like a really, really well-balanced side now. And and what New Zealand, I think, have been, not missing, but haven't had the opportunity to exploit is someone like Jimmy Nisham at, at six or seven who can bring home a chase. And, and he almost pulled it off. It was a tremendous innings from him, set up by yet more middle-order contributions from the engine room for New Zealand. Three, four, okay, Latham got 21 and, and got out, but... That engine room for New Zealand has been has been humming along tremendously in this World Cup. And if you contrast it to Australia, that's not the contribution we're seeing consistently from Australia. So uh, full praise for for Rutchen, for Daryl Mitchell, for Tom Latham, etc. They have they have paced this chase perfectly. And if you scroll down, you look at the scorecard on Crick Info, and you look at how New Zealand ticked off 50, 100, 150, 200, 250. They were on the rate the whole way. Um, and even though they lost wickets in in intervals, not in clumps, but in intervals, I, I think they were just almost perfect in terms of their chase. And and Australia did pretty well to get out of that game with a victory because this could so easily have been the best chase we've ever seen in a World Cup. Yep, no, I completely agree. Uh, New Zealand's really been missing that um, closer of an innings. Uh, Jimmy Neesham coming in, I believe, for a niggle to, to, to Mark Chapman, but I could be wrong about that, um, has provided that for us. Uh, he, you know, New Zealand looked even out of it probably with, you know, 18 balls to go. I think we needed 40-odd off, off, off 18 balls, and Jimmy Neesham was able to come out and put the ball away, just like he did in the 2019 World Cup. Uh, he was able to mm. hit boundaries that were crucial at times, and he did the same thing here. He actually looks really good. Uh, really, really good with the bat without having to bat really long periods of time. Absolutely. Uh, look, and and they almost pulled it off New Zealand. It was only really that that run out that um, meant that it was almost impossible to to hit that six off the last ball. I'm I'm so glad we bowled it over arm um, <laughs> for Australia for Australia to 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 bring up a very important win in the World Cup because it puts now Australia and New Zealand on eight points, South Africa and India on ten points. And now there's a bit of a, a bit of a gap to the chasing pack, which includes Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Afghanistan, the Netherlands now, who have picked up a win overnight against Bangladesh. We'll talk about that shortly. Um, they're all on four points, and then Bangladesh have dropped five on the bounce to join England uh, on two points. Uh, England have a game in hand tonight against India. This was huge for Australia. If we had dropped this game and we were in amongst that chasing pack. Um, it would have been really quite problematic. But now Australia have won four on the bounce. Uh, we've got a bit of momentum going through this tournament. Uh, we've got an important game against England up next on November the 4th. So we've got some time off in between matches. Uh, huge for Australia to get this result. But I don't think it's I don't think it's as significant a defeat for New Zealand as it was an important win for Australia. What's your view, Raj? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it, it's really, uh, it's more devastating, I guess, for the chasing pack, the likes of Pakistan, England, uh, Sri Lanka. Uh, they they really wanted New Zealand to win that game to hold Australia mm-hmm. 
back a little bit. But I, like we said, uh, we've said, you know, over the, the last couple of podcasts, Australia just need to win games now. Don't worry about run rate. They just need to, if they win games, they will get through, get themselves through to the um, to the playoffs. And they've done a great job here and um, putting, a, putting a dagger into the hopes of that chasing pack, that's for sure. Yep, absolutely. And uh, that's my alarm to remind me that we don't have too long before the World Cup final kicks off, right? Mm. So let's quickly cover the other game last night, which was the Netherlands and Bangladesh. And it's it's not a giant killing game, but another impressive victory for the Netherlands. Incredible, incredible victory for the, for the Netherlands. I keep going back to in our previews. We were talking about the Netherlands and Afghanistan. What is a what? What looks good for them in this World Cup? But they've completely exceeded all of all of those uh, initial sort of thoughts that we had when they went out there. They were in a bit of trouble, sixty odd for sixty three for four, um, and you know they looked like they were going to struggle to put up uh, incredible uh, any score at all. But they did really well to get uh, to two hundred and twenty nine. Uh, it didn't look like it was going to be enough, but then they put in an incredible bowling performance. Yeah, I mean, they're getting contributions from guys that maybe the rest of the cricketing world didn't expect them to contribute heavily. Scott Edwards uh, mm-hmm. contributed heavily against again in this game. Engelbrecht and then Logan Van Beek, no surprise to uh, fans of New Zealand cricket here that he's been uh, influential for the Netherlands. And and they yes, they put 229 on the board, but they defended it like Lions. The, the bowling performance, um, particularly... Uh, from Paul van Mikkeren was just awesome. Like he nipped the ball away from batters. He nicked guys off. And, and that whole performance from uh, the Netherlands with the ball was, was very, very impressive for me. It was. And, and that, that's what I was kind of leading to with the 229. You didn't think it was going to be enough. Definitely not for what we've seen in this World Cup, but they were rewarded because they just bowled great areas and they were rewarded with a constant stream of wickets uh, from from the Bangladeshi batsmen. I mean, that Bangladeshi batsmen weren't you know throwing their wickets away. There was a lot of edges behind uh, as well through to the keeper. I think Edwards took four four catches out of the top five batsmen. Mm. Um, and you're right, Van, Van Mekkenen was actually a really good, really, really big part of that. Buzz Delita uh, coming in as well, taking um, a crucial wicket of Mehdi Hassan Miraz early as well. I don't know if you saw his wicket when he was batting. Sorry, just to go back, I did want to mention it. Um, another one where I'm not sure if you go back, have a look at the snicko. He was eventually given out, uh, caught behind off the snicko, but I'm not 100% sure that he's nicked that one. Uh, so one, of the, one, of the, one of our talking points around DRS there, I'm sure we can talk about it at some stage. But the biggest concern I have is around Bangladesh. I have a couple of negative points uh, to talk about them with, with their batting. And the biggest one for me is they just struggle to build a platform. We talked about this in the preview with uh, Tama Mikbal, you know, we thought coming back into the side, it would help yep. them set a platform. He didn't end up making the side and they have struggled to build any kind of platform. And then the biggest sort of issue that I have is with the likes of Shakib. Mushfika Rahim and Mamadula, who was the century maker in the last game, batting at five, six, and seven. I feel like that's just just craziness. I just don't get it. Surely you want, especially two of those guys, Shakib and Mushfika Rahim, batting facing the majority of the balls, or at least having the opportunity to face the majority of the balls. Yeah, real real struggle for Bangladesh in terms of the balance of their team because you know Sh- Shakib can't do everything um, as as much as he'd like to be able to. 
but I, I fully agree with you. I, I think that the the formula for Pakistan and batting Rizwan at four should be the formula that Bangladesh are looking at to get their, their better players as much exposure as they possibly can and to be able to put up big scores for them because the reality is for them to be able to be competitive, they need a better to make a really, really big score and then other guys contribute around him. And you look at that lineup and you have to say that Shakib, Mushfiq and Mamadoula are the guys to be able to do that. Very, very difficult for guys to bat around him when there's no batting after them. And so if for no other reason, you have to have a look at it and go, well, can we get those guys interspersed with the other guys? So if they are batting together, at least there's some people to bat around them. Because if you have a look at this tail end there, 20, 17, 11 and 20, from the bottom four, they're handy contributions, but they need someone to bat with. And, you know, it's hard, you know, we're not in the inner sanctum of, of the, the Bangladeshi best, uh, dressing room, but, you know, from the outside, it looks like these leaders, the likes of Shakib, Mush, Mushfika, are saying to the other batsmen at the top of the order, or who are batting at the top of the order, go out there and score some runs, and then we'll finish it off, we'll top it off at the end of the, the innings. We're, it should actually be the reverse. Those two should be going out there, making sure that they get to a, a score at 30 overs where these other batsmen lower down the order can come in and, and sort of surge to put on a competitive score. But the majority or the bulk of the, the run scoring is scored by those more more senior guys who, who have done it before. I just, I'm not sure what the strategy is there, and I'm not sure that they've got it right. Well, they've they've got an opportunity at the end of the month to 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 change that against some some Asian uh, foes in Pakistan and Sri Lanka. So those are the two upcoming games for Bangladesh. I think we can probably say, in fact, I think we can say that they're out of the World Cup now and can only play spoiler against those other contending sides. And then they finish their World Cup against Australia on November the eleventh. So lots of work for Bangladesh to do to sort out their form going forward. Uh, it remains to, to be seen whether anything will change. Uh, I read somewhere that, that I think I'm right in saying this, that Shakib went back to Bangladesh uh, in between matches and has come back for his team. So I, I, I'm not sure the reason for that. I think I read that he was uh, visiting a mentor in Bangladesh to, to refresh himself uh, and get in a good headspace. So, um, look, there's, there's lots of work to do for Bangladesh. But I think the Netherlands... They haven't overachieved in this World Cup, but I thought I think they've certainly done themselves very, very proud, and I think are forming as as uh, second team favourites, I guess, if you like, for some of those other casual fans who are enjoying the run that they have had and Afghanistan have had in this World Cup. Big game tonight for England, Raj, uh, against India. Um, Binksy not on the podcast this morning, but are England any chance realistically of beating this Indian juggernaut? I think they're 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 a great chance in that no one is expecting anything from them. There's no expectations. They they could just sneak up on the Indians. Wouldn't that be a great story to to wake up in uh, in the morning to see England having toppled the uh, the Giants at home? Uh, look, England need to go into this game shedding all their past what four four or five games that they've played and just think about going into this game and executing their skills because they are a great team. India are also a great team, but at the end of the day, um, it comes down to little things. Just like we saw in this New Zealand Australia game, there were so many, so many facets that if they had gone differently, the result could have been different. Um, and I expect nothing less from this India versus England game tonight. Couldn't agree more. The key to England is just to throw off the shackles and and find the fun again. It looks like they're a side at the moment 
who were struggling to find the fun in their cricket. And that is at a stark contrast to the, the test side we saw here in New Zealand uh, earlier in the year. Yeah, if England are going to be any chance, they've they've really got to... I think they've got to bat first and, and then just take some risks and, and see if they come off against India. And if they do and they can post 350, maybe those England bowlers can keep India down and, and prevent them from pulling off a, a big chase. It will be a cracking game tonight. Raj, any other thoughts, feelings, emotions that you wanted to share with the listeners and viewers before we wrap up and, and get across to the rugby? Yeah, no, I'm I'm just really glad to see this 50 over format still has a lot of a lot to give us uh, from a, from a cricketing perspective the last two games have been absolute crackers if you wanted to get anybody across to watch this game those are the two games that you, that you show them um it's been, it's been great to watch and i'd love to end the podcast on a, a go the all blacks from 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 you michael baldwin if you get a chance i'll get I'll, I'll give you the i'll give you that raj absolutely that'll be the last thing i say on this podcast look for cricketing fans uh, viewers and listeners of the podcast, just remember good things happen in threes. Uh, so tune in to India versus England tonight in the cricket because it promises to be an epic encounter. It's been a lot of fun being on with you again this morning, Raj. Uh, for listeners and viewers of the podcast that have stuck with us, thank you for tuning in once again. We'll be back tomorrow to review the England-India game. Uh, and I leave you with this humble thought uh, from an Australian living in New Zealand tonight as we face the might of South Africa in the World Cup final. Go the All Blacks.